thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. Many of you know these guys. Really. Just let me, just a show of hands, okay? How many of you have seen these guys before? Not this morning, but before this trip, okay? How many of you have never seen them before? Okay, okay, quite a few, and I don't know about <laughs> online as well. So, yeah. so just, we met, like, over 20 years ago. I think I was leading worship at an event on the Isle of Man, do you remember? And you were speaking, and we went out for a curry, and we kind of clicked and connected. And then when Alison and I took over leading this church in 2000, Paul and Priscilla were incredibly gracious to us and really like spoke into our lives, encouraged us, became like spiritual parents and all that kind of stuff. And then for the church, you came over virtually every year, I think, didn't you? And invested in the life of the church. We really love these guys. They are so amazing. Switch your mark on, mate. <laughs> He's technically challenged. I oh, know. There you go. Come on. Come on. Do it. Come on. You're all right. Yeah, this church is what it is because of me. <laughs> Is, is that the bad stuff then? <laughs> so if you've got any complaints, I'll give you his email address, all right? And you can send them to him. It's his fault, not mine. So just tell us a little bit about yourselves, family and stuff, for those of you, those that don't know you. Well, we have four daughters, um, all grown up now, all married, and we have 12 grandchildren, <laughs> 11 girls, and one boy. <laughs> So we, we didn't really do that well with the recipe for boys. Charlie, who is our grandson, lives in England here. Um, he was a bit upset for many years that he wasn't getting any boy cousins, but now he calls himself King Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, um, I, got, I was converted when I was 16, and uh, three days later met Priscilla. Wow. And, and we were, we, I took her out on, the, on her 15th birthday, and we went for a walk. And there's a little story. I said to my sister, younger sister, could you buy? I said, listen, I'm, I'm going out with this really nice girl. It's her birthday. Would you, would you buy her some perfume and wrap it and I'll give you the money for it? So she did that and I gave, on her birthday, I gave her a present. And it turned out to be? He bought me a um, perfume called Intimate. Well, when you're 15 years, <laughs> when you're 15 years old, and you, it's a bit come, racy. you come from a brethren background. <laughs> yeah. You you pray very hard that your mother will not ask you, did he buy you a birthday present and what was it? I never knew that. Oh, no, yeah. That's true. Yeah. I didn't know what the name of it was, actually. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> so you... You started a church in the 80s? We started, yeah, we started in 1981. We, um, it was really about reaching people who didn't know Jesus. Yeah, and right. we were in a brethren assembly, which was, we were brought up and it was fantastic. But, you know, we, we I mean, bring it, bringing the people we were connecting with to a brethren assembly in those days was like bringing your granny to a disco. <laughs> You know, I find that now that I'm a granny a bit insulting. Yeah, well, that's just true. But so, so it, you know, yeah. and so it was a kind. How do we, how do we connect with a, a society? The sort of stuff you're, we've, we're all trying to do, and that's that really was the birth. That was 1981, and there were 11 of us started in our front room, and in two years there were eight of us. So it was really, it was a big success. Yeah, it was a big. That's true. Honestly, it was a big. Didn't know what we were doing. I had no clue what we were doing, but it grew. 
and, and became yeah, well, yeah, we eventually, one of the most The first baptism we had with 39 people baptized, wow. so which wow. was fantastic. And then we just started, uh, I, you know, I look back on and say, well, we did this. And, you know, in the, in the day when you, when you grew this big church in Belfast, in the middle of the troubles, but people wanted to mm. get you and ask you what you did. But looking back on we, I don't know what we did, honestly. I've, I've no idea. I know that sounds ridiculous, but, you know, I, I had some idea, but, but at the end of the day, the older you get, you realize it was the goodness and the grace yeah. of God. Yeah, it's great. Sometimes it's great. we think it's our plans, but actually God's got his own plans. Yeah, he has a laugh at us sometimes, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Really? Okay. Well, listen, and then, and then you guys, uh, I think 10, 11 years ago, handed the church over, so yeah. you've stepped into a different season. So we want to kind of just ask you a few questions about this whole concept of life lessons and stuff. So, Alison, you're going to kick off there. I, I can't think of anybody I'd rather sit down yeah. and talk to about how do you do life um, because these guys treat it lightly, uh, don't take themselves too seriously, but are just full of incredible advice and wisdom. So first question to you is, is a little bit about the challenges of life, really. Um, start with you, Priscilla. What, what would you say has been the most challenging phase of life for you? I'm not sure that I can say that there was, you know, like there's a phase, like there was a decade that was harder than, than other decades. I think there were, there were times that just, you, you know, I struggled more than others. At a, if, you, if you're talking about, um, you know, like a ministry level, I'll talk about the personal in a minute, but if you're talking about a ministry level, I think my biggest struggle was when, you know, we started in our own home, et cetera, et cetera. And as Paul said, we started to grow. We eventually got a building. And then Paul started to work for the church full time. And I just had had my fourth baby. And I find that a really disorienting time. I just didn't quite know where I fitted. And also in those days, you know, we, we hadn't really looked at the role of women, what women could be called to. And so I felt a call of God in my life, but I didn't quite know, almost like you, you didn't quite know what you were allowed to do in church as a woman. And so I, I, was, I, I sort of thought, oh, this is really about Paul. It's not about me. And again, if you know anything about a brethren background, we didn't have pastors. So there's no such thing as a pastor's wife. So when people started to think of me, I was going, is that a thing? Like, is, a pastor, is that a thing? You wouldn't say somebody was a teacher's wife or, you know. So it didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. So I think there was a period of time whenever I was really just a, a bit feeling a, a bit, I'm, I'm not sure where I fit. Um, so that was, that's ministry side. Personally, I think the hardest times have been around family. You know, we, we've had, you know, a few times, like we've had two grandchildren, one little grandson who died at birth um, we had another little granddaughter who died at 26 weeks but you know it was a birth and those were incredibly difficult and heartbreaking times and 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 there have been seasons in in family that have been been hard and you know that you do just want to just get offside and not see anybody and all the rest of it so those are probably my most the biggest challenges yeah, and, and I guess those are particularly difficult when they come together when you yes. are in leadership and you're going through a family crisis that's particularly difficult isn't it to try and hold those two things together and on, I mean maybe we're moving on but honestly 
For me, the key to surviving those times was having people around yeah. you. I mean, yeah. Paul and I often say some of the hard times we went through, mm -hmm. we would not have made it without, you know, the family of the church, yeah. but particularly, you know, people, we always had small groups and people mm -hmm. that you connected with and you mm -hmm. knew were for you and were praying yeah. for. We yeah. would not have made it without yeah. that. Well, yeah, so true, yeah. Paul. Yeah, I, I, I was just thinking about that and thinking on a personal basis, I suppose it was as the most difficult time in my life was when I was 16 and dad left home. And it, it took me probably, took me 20 years to realize how broken I was. Wow. Uh, I saw him uh, twice in two years and then once in 36 years. And I, I, I suppose what I look back on and I didn't realize how broken I was mm -hmm. and what an impact it made on my life and how it affected my relationships with other people because it, I kind of projected it and it, it carried into ministry. And what I, what, this, is, this is the way, I remember we went through this whole thing of me and forgiving my father and I, I was in full-time ministry at the time, realized I had never done that and, and what that was doing to me. And what I realized was that, you know, dad let me down Therefore, anybody who let me down, I was extremely hard on. And in fact, you know, one of the, one of the things, if somebody, if I had a fight with somebody, I deleted them out of my phone immediately. And that's a terrible thing. But it made me realize how broken I was. And I suppose that, that was the toughest time. And, and as I look back, I, I look out at my audience tonight and I think none of us knows what each of us have gone through. Yeah. And the factors that are early in life that have affected us and shaped us. And I would say, somebody said, well, you're, you're okay now, Paul. No, I'd say this side of heaven, I've still got a bit of a hole in my heart where I'd like to have a, had a father who said, well done, son. And I never had that. Priscilla's dad was like that to me, actually. He took me on. And uh, he, I had that man in my life. He's, he's 95. And I still love, still loves Jesus, and what a what a great man he is. So that was, I'd say personally, that was one of the hardest yeah. things. Wow, wow, it's powerful, guys. Just for, for both of you, really looking back over your life and the decades that, that you you guys have been together and following Jesus, what what are the two things that have sustained your faith? I don't know whether you've already alluded to one, maybe, but what are the two things that have helped you make it, and you know, to the point that you are now, and sustained, strengthened your faith? Well, I, I mean, we were Christians for quite a while and uh, until we collided with the Holy Spirit. And honestly, that was, that made a huge difference. Certainly, in, well, it did for you too, Paul, but huge difference in my life. It changed how I, my view of God. Yeah. You know, I, it, it changed my view of, of me. You know, a, a, a deeper understanding of, of his love for you and it just, it did change everything and, you know, and, and gave you, with the gifts of this, gave you tools, you know, for what you were called to do. So that, to me, that was, that was, and has content, you know, that it says, you know, to be daily filled. So I always say to people, you know, when you're brushing your teeth in the morning, which I hope all of you do every day, um, you know, that, that just say, just every day saying, Lord, I need you to fill me again today. So, I mean, I, I do think that without that, you can't, you can't. Without him, you can't sustain your, your faith. Wow. I mean, he would have been um, a good wife. <laughs> yes, amen. <laughs> I mean... Despite uh, all that he told you this morning, if you were here for the first yeah. service, I want to say 
I do not, I do not pray the way he said I prayed. I do not make boring prayers at all. No, you don't, no, no, you don't. I, I think that's the role of a pastor's um, I, wife, Priscilla, no, I, <laughs> that you're the butt I, I, of the jokes. <laughs> and I, I don't, I don't want to heap, you know, uh, coal on anybody, but, you know, having, having a, a, a stable marriage where we loved each other, where we, we tried to love each other, I hope that my girls would say one of the things they knew above all else is that dad loved mom and mom loved dad. And I think that sustained us because when I was up, and Priscilla was down, I was able to, you know, it, 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 there was a mutuality there. And I think, I think I would say one of the sustaining things for me was that I, I'm saying this to my credit, but Priscilla said, you know, I, I was your greatest champion as well. You know, I, I believed in you, opened the doors for you and said, you can do this here. And I think that, that the fact that I respected her and wasn't intimidated by her gift, even though she's a better preacher than me. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Jeff Lucas always makes fun of me. He said, suppose you had another phone call today, did you, Paul? And I go, what do you mean? You know, hello, is that, is that, is that Priscilla Reed's husband there? <laughs> And, and honestly, the, the second thing, just qu just quickly, is and I do beam, I do, I do go on about it, is that we both have a a devotional life yeah. uh, on a regular basis with Jesus, and that's been something that's sustained us out of our life. Uh, and honestly, if we hadn't had that, I don't know where I would have been. Yeah. Be truthful with you. And, and my second thing would be that, and I think we alluded to it this morning, that you really have to dig in to. To, to deal with the disappointments in your life. I, we know, you know, that's the saddest part about following Jesus for all of these years, is the number of people we knew who, you know, walked with us, who served, who served God with us, and then said, it's not for me anymore, and walked away. And it was mostly because they felt like the Lord didn't come through for them in some area of their lives. And honestly, I think if you're going to make it for the long haul, you need to look that one straight in the face. I mean, I think you do need to, this, you know, the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, I think every Christian needs to get to that place where if I'm in the furnace, I know you can deliver me, God. But you see, if you don't, you're still my God. And if you don't get to that place, you will not make it for the, because I know there's many of you out there and the things that you have faced, people would go, there's no way I could survive that. Yeah. And the only way that you can survive it is if you know that God is good, that you can trust him through the most difficult trying circumstances and, you know, and, and that you're not going to walk away because of you know, tragedies that happen in, in our lives. Yeah, I, I, can I follow that up? Just uh, a quick one. We, we, um, I, I agree with Priscilla. I think the biggest disappointments have been uh, broken relationships yeah. where things have happened and uh, there are people who don't speak to you anymore yeah. and you're not sure if you want to speak to them, to be truthful with you. Uh, something happened recently that actually gave me great hope. Um, 30, 30, it's actually 30 years ago this year that I publicly fired two people of our, in our staff now I look back and I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it that way today, but it was a different day, and uh, we had a public meeting. They were there, and I, I basically, you know, said we're di we're dismissing them. There was no immorality or anything like that. It was a clash of 
you know, personalities. It, it, sometimes it gets lost in the midst of time what actually happened. Uh, anyway, this uh, particular girl, she went away to England and her mum stayed in the church. And was so encouraging to me. Well, about three months ago, we're sitting in the same row. Her mum is now in a wheelchair. She's sitting beside her. She's back looking after mum. And we're, you know, we're in speaking terms. And I'm sitting down here, but eight, eight seats between us. And it's communion time. <laughs> and uh, uh, the, the uh, person leading the service says, why don't you have communion with the person beside you? <laughs> so I look down at her and she looks at me and she comes up and we have a bit of bread and a little cup in her hand. And using her name, I said, I am so sorry. And she said, and I'm sorry too, Paul. And we broke bread together. I'm a bread. And I just, I just thought, you know something? There's no relationship that's irredeemable. Don't give up. And I thank the Lord. 30 years on, I was restored to her. Can hardly believe it, actually. Anyway, that's, that's, that's so brilliant. powerful. And that's the church, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It that's is. the body of Christ, that yeah. that can happen. Yeah. That we can have broken relationships because we're human yeah. and we can have that. That's so powerful. Yeah, Last it question. Is. It's great. And, and also that links in with what Priscilla said. You know, when you're in the fire, you're not in the fire on your own because you've got, you've got a community around you. It makes you understand how important the body is. Yeah. yeah. Um, my final question is, is about um, what's been most encouraging to you. So what's been the best advice that you've ever been given? Now, there's, a, there's a, a reason I'm asking this. It's because Priscilla gave me some of the best advice ever once. And uh, it's to her credit, <laughs> probably, that I'm sat here. Because I remember when I was asked to go on the eldership... And there weren't many husbands and wives on the eldership at that point. Uh, it, was, it wasn't really a, a done thing too much. And it was all a little bit scary and a bit new. And uh, I went across to Ireland and said to Priscilla, so, so what do you think about this, Priscilla? She was absolutely amazing. Do you know what she said? Has God called you? I said, yes. She said, do it. That was it. <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. But it was so It was a long way so to go clear. for that advice, wasn't it? But it was... <laughs> But it was brilliant because it just cut through all of the chatter in my head. So my question to you is, what's the best advice you've ever been given? I find, you know, I, I, we, we were talking about that reason, recently and it's quite different. One of, the, one of the things you actually said at the very beginning, which I think is absolutely true, you know, don't take yourself too seriously, but take what you do seriously. And I think we, we've tried, we've tried to, li to live that out. Um, I, I, I remember being at university and had a, a, a friend who was older than me and was a mentor, was a mentor to me. And, um, you know, she just was really hot. And I suppose that's why I asked you that question. You know, it, because, I, no, it, well, I'm still a bit like this. You know, you can guilt me into doing most things. <laughs> you know, I'm quite, you know, you, you can pull does it on a frequent basis and uh, and but she was very hot on is this what God is asking you to do and and if he's asking you to do it then do it and um, and I think that probably was really really good advice and maybe at times help you to sift through 
you know, because there's a lot of things you could do. And as a woman, especially today, I think in some ways we're sold the lie, you can have it all. And I don't think you can have it all. I think you can have everything God has for you. Um, but you, you know, you have you have to say, okay, Lord, you know, what is it that you have for me to do? And then I'm going to walk in obedience to that call in my life. Uh, yeah, I mean, <coughs> it's along the same line, uh, and I'm phrasing it slightly different than it was put to me. But it's been one of our life mottos, and it's this: it's all go to God says no. There's some people it's all no to God says go. Yeah. Yeah. A different way of looking at life. But for us, it is, you know, if, if, it's, if it's in the Bible, we'll do it. If God says to do it, we're going to do it. It doesn't matter what it costs us. We're going we're to press in and do it. And, and if God doesn't want you to do it, he's, he's quite able to let you know and say no. I mean, recently I was asked to go to um, uh, Hawaii to do some meetings. And um, it was all go to God said no. And then we got an alternative uh, invitation uh, to go to way down in the south of Cor- way down in the south of Ireland, and we went to Hawaii. It was it was just amazing. So it was, um, that's a that's a joke. That well, it was a joke. But you know, I, I know it's a very simple thing. But it was it was you know, let's stop prevaricating. Stop putting. Just say, if, if God says let's do it, go for it. That was the best bit of advice. That's so good. We're often waiting for the green light rather than the red light, aren't we? It's just that way of flipping it around. Guys, that's so good. We we wanna we already already have heard so much from you, but we wanna you wanna bring some stuff into our lives as well. So we're gonna turn it over to you. Thank you guys. Let's give it up for Paul and Priscilla. So good. I'm gonna Hold on, where'd you go? Give me that back again. Hey, Leon, Leon, Leon. I I think we'll just sit. We're getting old. (laughs) He needs to sit down. What we're we're going to do is, we're going to share a little bit. um, At least I'm going to do most of that, and Priscilla's going to take up the ministry time. Uh, Okay, that's, that's, that's handy. Thank you so much. One of the things that I really loved about this church, and actually this morning, was the fact that it is an intergenerational church. There are people of all ages who are participating at every level of the, uh, of the church. And so there's something very powerful about that. And I think, there is, I think there's a fashion today that seems to imply that you have to be young if you're going to be used by God. But funny, my reading of Scripture is that God uses you at every stage of life, and God can do that. The only place I see where you're not used by God is when you die, and I'm not about to do that just yet. I remember whenever we, we retired, I was then handed over the, I handed over the leadership of the church. Uh, somebody prophesied over us, and it was really helpful to an extent, which was God isn't finished with you yet. Well, I never thought he had, to be honest with you. And so it, I think there is something in that when you, when you hit a certain age or level, uh, God's, you know, reluctantly might use you. And what I found is this, if you want to devalue and demobilize a band of Christians, go ahead, imply that some of them are active and some need to be put out to grass. 
You know something, the last thing I want to do is to reduce the over 40s to a cheering squad. You can cheer while you're running just the same. Remember somebody said to me, you're handling of your, your baton or baton as they say in America. And I said, no, I'm not. I said, I, I, you have to fight me to get my baton from me. I'm not handing it over to anybody. You get your own baton. I'm gonna run with it until the day that I die. And I suppose there's no such thing. This is what we've discovered. Well, I'll confess, I'm 71, Priscilla's 70, just last week, okay? And, and much the, younger than <clears> me. Much younger than me, yeah. But I, I've discovered this. There's no such thing as a baton. There's a baton which is held by everyone in their various stages of life development. But there's no single solitary baton. It's true that we all pass from one age of life to the next, 20s turn into 30s, 30s into 40s, etc. But every time you do, you take on a change of mindset, lifestyle, and even anointing. And then you take on a new one. Every single one of us in this room and those watching have a race to run and a baton to hold. And, and I suppose it all comes, I think, from our desire to see more young people in church, and we absolutely do. But I think that churches that are going to be healthy for the future are, inter are intergenerational churches. And it's my premise, this is what we've discovered, is that every 10 years or so, something shifts in your life. Every 10 years, something shifts. Now, I, for the sake of ease, I've, we've done it today uh, around the decades. Excuse me, children, teens, 20s, 30s, etc. And I think that what we need to do is this. We need to be aware of that. When you come to that age, when you come to that stage in your life, that if we don't, if we don't realize it's coming up, we can't successfully negotiate the transition that you need to move into the next phase of your life. I think problems occur when we have a two-stage approach. You know, in other words, active, hands-on, and put out to pasture. The pro and here's another problem. When we persist, <coughs> excuse me, in one stage of life, when we should have moved on to the next stage of life, and if we're going to build lasting, thriving churches, we need to do age and stage appropriate things. Um, Recently, you know, everybody remember the Frozen craze? Every kid did Frozen. And I would sing it with my, I know it, I could, I, I could sing it in my sleep, to be honest with you. And I danced with my grandchildren. But you don't want to see me doing that tonight, do you? No, you're not going to say that. No, you definitely don't. You know, my point is simply, my simple point is simply this, that you, you've got to, at every age of life, you know, don't tell young people to be sensible and balanced. Excess should be their middle name. But we want that excess to be channeled into the kingdom of God. And a big part of olders, older people is to impart skill and wisdom to an emerging generation. And I think the reason, thank you, we've, uh, the church is so mixed up at times because we've embraced a worldly set of values. I mean, I remember one of the, when I look back on my life, one of the worst things that I, I think I ever did was we were appointing new elders and we said, we're not considering anybody under the age of 40. Over the age of 40, sorry, over the age of 40. Now, the reason we did it, of course, was to bring younger people and young blood onto the team. But everybody over 40 then said, well, we're finished then, aren't we? What, what, what about the call of God in my life? 
And so it was, a, it was a huge mistake to do that. And I think the real challenge is to guard and promote the transitions between the various stages of life we've all got to go through. You, you find it in nature, butterflies, trees. You know, we all want long-term success and we all need to reinvent ourselves for each stage of our life and pick up the mandate and identity of that stage. Each stage requires a death. John chapter 12, Jesus, except a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. And, and you, you go through a period of uncertainty. But as you learn to let go, you move into the next stage in your life. So I want to suggest to you tonight, whatever age you're at, that, that enjoy it. Do it with all of you know, the power that God has given you, excuse me, to do that. But if you're not willing to embrace and get comfortable with the conflicts of change, both internal and external, then get comfortable with being stuck in your old cycles. Change happens to us without permission. It just happens. Change happens in us by submission. We give ourselves to it. Now we've been through, you've got it, seven stages of life. I'm not going to talk about children tonight. Okay, that's a different category altogether. It's not that I'm downgrading them in any way. It's just for the sake of time, etc. We're not going to do that. And our journey is based upon, what we're going to do tonight is based upon our story. It's not the journey of everybody. But if you've been around the church for many years, then it could well be your journey as well. Stage one is this, the teens. The teens. We now have one one, one teenager for a granddaughter. And she is the loveliest, sweetest girl, but she's a teenager. And the big, I say, the baton of teenage is this, it's discovery time. The big question is, who am I and what am I? Now, when I was younger, what am I was never a question. But that's been asked of every young person today. It's who am I? It's a time when they move from personal or preconceived faith, or, or sorry, parental faith or preconceived faith to original belief and personal faith. Now, if you're brought up in the Anglican church or uh, some of the traditional denominations, what happened was as a child, you were baptized as a baby and your parents made vows on your behalf. And when you got some, somewhere into your teens, you confirmed them, it's called confirmation. Well, actually in churches like ours, it's no different. We pray for our kids, but there comes a moment in all of their lives, it can be a weekend, a youth weekend away, it can be sole survivor when it was going, it can be something like that, it can take a few years, but all of them come to a point where they ask the question, is this my faith or is this mom and dad's faith? Our girls did the same thing. And the reality is they've got a few attempts at it. I mean, many of us who were brought up in church didn't get saved every children's meeting we ever went to. Do you ever, do you ever remember those days? You said the sinner's prayer and you became a Christian all the time. Many, many of the, many, this is having, having observed them in our church, many of our teens lead a double life. Lead a life in church and a life outside of church. And the discovery of who they are and what they believe is fought on a minefield of sexual consciousness, image consciousness, 
and peer pressure. Now we need more teens in the church. We need to give them room to mess up, fail, and generally do dumb things, because I certainly did. I remember the day my father discovered that every time I took a drink of vodka from his bottle, I put water in it. I was stupid enough to think that he wouldn't notice the difference. But you know something? Our teens need to meet Jesus for themselves. They all need to have their own encounter with Jesus Christ. And they shouldn't be, I think this is the difficult one for people my age, they shouldn't be forced into experiencing God the way we insist they should. They need their own experience of Christ. And we need to be free to let them do that and let them find God for themselves. Teens. What we want to do as we look at the, each of the decades is take time to pray for folk in, in, those, in that decade. Now, I'm very conscious tonight that we probably have very few teens in the room. Um, but I know that some of you here will actually be negotiating um, teenage life with your own children. And that is a challenging time. And so if you're a teen in the room, and that's, this is hard to do when you're a teenager, we're gonna ask you to stand, but so that you don't feel that you're entirely on your own, we want any mums and dads who have teenagers um, that they would stand as well. And we are going to pray for that age group tonight. So if you're a teenager, will you stand? And if you're a mum and dad of teenagers, then we're gonna pray for you. Now, particularly what I want you to do, if there's some, I see two girls here near the front, which is great. And I think there might be some at the back especially for the teenagers who are standing, I don't want them to be standing alone because our job in the generations in front of them is to cheer them on. So if you're near them, will you just stand with them so that they don't feel like they're, they're on their own? There's someone else. Just, you know, let's all engage here tonight. This is what family looks like. So especially for the teenagers, I want somebody to be standing with them. It's not that for your, you mums and dads, we're not standing with you as well, we are. But I particularly want the teenagers to know that we are standing with them and we're cheering them on. So Father, we come to you right now in Jesus' name. We thank you for our teen, teens, Lord. We thank you that you're for them. And Lord, that you understand what they're going through, their struggles, and especially in today's society, the pressures that they are under. Father, for the teens standing in the room tonight, will you come alongside them? Will you let them know that you have plans and purposes for their lives? Would you remind them of what your word says, that if at this point in their lives they seek first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added to them. Guys, those of you who are teenagers who are standing here tonight, the Lord wants you to know that He has gifted you. He has called you. He's got purpose for you. And if you put Him first, you are never gonna be the losers. That everything, your hopes and your dreams and your desires 
God sees them because He's placed them in you. And He says, if you put me first, just see what I will do with your life. And Father, I pray for the parents standing here right now. I pray for some parents who are going through some really hard times with their teenagers. Lord, I ask that right now, you will give them a picture of their teen as you see them. I really feel like that's what the Lord wants to say to some of you who are having some real family struggles at the minute. Sometimes we are praying for our teens, but we're just worrying out loud about them. And God says, let me show you what I have put in them. Let me show you what I've created them to be. And then pray into that. Pray prophetically into that for your teenagers. So Father, I pray that you will come upon these parents, that you will give them wisdom. You'll give them the wisdom as to when to speak and when to be silent. You'll give them the wisdom to create an atmosphere of approval and not disapproval in in their homes. Father, that you will come and comfort some of their hearts because some of their hearts are really breaking tonight and that you just come and pour in. And Lord, I pray that you would lift off any of the condemnation of the enemy where he comes and says, you're not doing a good job. Father, I thank you for these parents who love their kids. And I pray that you will come and you will equip them and fill them and encourage them and give them hope. Hope for their children's future as they pray prophetically over their children all that you have for them. In Jesus' name. Okay, please be seated. Stage two, the 20s. um, I I call it, uh, I've made these up, born to run. The big question is, uh, can I make a difference? Uh, It's a stage where we lose a lot of young people when they go to college. They, they, they um, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty solid in church. They go to university and a few short months, something happens to them. And, and it's a stage where their profession of faith either fades or becomes hard-nosed conviction. They experiment. They try, try lots of things. Their life's very different today. We were married. I was, I was 24 and Priscilla was 22 when we got married. The average age today is for women it's 31 and men it's 33. He said this is going to be the last generation, our generation, that will have great-grandchildren great, great because so many people are having their children later in life. So it's, it's a very different thing. For us, it was, we were out every night. We did camps, coffee bars, door-to-door work. We never stopped. We were obsessed with reaching lost people. Honestly, I, I, we, were, we were just religious fanatics, to be quite frank with you. And, and we, had, we had different, I was looking back at the things that concerned us in those days. And it was, it's the funniest thing. Would, there, were, there was the oil crisis of 73. There was Russia and the Middle East. What is it today? Oil crisis, Russia and the Middle East. It, nothing, nothing ever changes, sure it doesn't. It all came round again. But there is a desire for greater purpose, I think, for young people. Millennials won't stay long at work or, or, or causes that have little or greater meaning or purpose. And I would say to the church, every church, is your mission clear and vision clear? Is it compelling and is it inexhaustible? Young people embark on personal mission. Young people aren't waiting around for someone to 
change the world. They just do it themselves. They arrange charity runs, non-profit schemes from home. The next generation not only believes that they will have a global impact, there are many of them actually doing it. And if our church doesn't have a burning sense of purpose and vision, you look lame compared to the average 22-year-old. And so the question is, we've got to have that, that motivation. I, I, I mean, the things, I remember we, we did, we've done so many alphas in our church over the years. And one day, Laura, who was one, one of our youth pastors, said to me, Paul, you wouldn't think about doing an alpha in the pub. And I said, well, can you, could you do that? She's in her 20s. She said, well, could we give it a try? And I said, okay. So she came back and she said, I've got McHugh's, the basement of McHugh's bar. We're going to have an indie band and a hog roast. I said, can we do that? <laughs> 240 people came to it. 240 people. The next one she did in the Willie Park, which is another bar. 360 people came to it the initial night. It was unbelievable. And all because a 20-something said, can we do something a little bit different? I think 20s are adventure time and we need to provide a culture where they can be excessive. What you find is these days they take a year out and it becomes three and that's what happens. I talked to a doctor the other day. I said, Chris, what are you doing with yourself? Have you settled into the GP's practice? And he went, oh no. He said, I'm a millennial, Paul. He said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, I do three days a week locum, and that leaves me free to go on mission or do whatever I want. And that's the, that's the generation that we're looking at today. But the reality is they need to be full on and addicted. But if we don't give them the freedom to be full on and addicted in church, there's a culture outside who's going to give them that freedom. And it's a culture of self it's sexually charged, and unless we give them permission and urge them to be excessive with destiny and purpose, what you'll find is they'll put their urges and their energies into sex rather than spiritual quests. The cutting edge is the only place to be in your 20s, and we need to cut them loose. 20s. Any 20s here? Lights up. Lights up. Lights up. Put the lights up. So if you're in your 20s, brilliant. Come on. Why don't you stand? So it doesn't count, sorry. And again, now this time, I do want everybody who's standing to have someone stand yeah, with them. On, let's, let's lay hands on these. Put a hand away. on their shoulders. Yeah, come on. We love you. Let's, we're trusting that I'm praying from the front here, but you pray over them um, because we want, we want 20s who are going to run passionately for Jesus. So Father, again, we thank you for every single person standing here tonight in their 20s. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for their love for you. And we pray that tonight they would have a fresh sense that your hand is on them. Father, that you have plans and purposes for them. Lord, that you want for them to make an impact and Lord, that you will be the one who gives them strength to run. Scripture talks about even young men grow weary, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. We are praying, Lord, that each of our 20s will run strong for you and will not give up. Guys, I really feel like the Lord is saying that as Paul talked about that baton, and as you are prepared to run with it, that there are generations 
who have gone ahead of you and we are cheering you on. We are believing in you. We are cheering you on. But I feel like the Lord is saying that as you run with passion, then there are others around you of your generation who see you running. And I'm pointing at this young woman here. They see you running with power and with strength and with determination. They also see that God is putting in you deep roots of understanding who you are in Jesus. And the Lord says to you that as you understand your security in Him, He's gonna put other young women around you who have no sense of their worth and value and you will be able to disciple them. And what I'm saying to this young woman is true for all of you standing, that as you run with passion, there are those around you of your generation. There's a young guy down there. When you run, there are young men who are looking on and they will start to run because they see you running. Because they see your commitment, they're gonna run after you. There are many young men and young women standing in this place who God has called to lead the way. And if you lead the way, others will follow. That as you serve God, you will cause others to catch up that baton and run with a passion and an intensity as well. So Father, we pray for them. We pray that you will equip them. We pray, Lord Jesus, that they will understand who they are in Christ that this will be a generation in the church who are secure in knowing who they are in Christ and that they will then have the confidence to step out and do things that perhaps other people wouldn't even believe that they would be capable of doing. But the Lord believes in you and because He believes in you, you can have confidence in what He's asking you to do. So pour out, Lord, upon them in Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. Great time to be alive when you're in your 20s. Stage three is the 30s. Of course, 20s move into 30s. It's, a, it's an interesting one. I found it the hardest of all. I, could, I realized that I, I could never, I'd never be asked to play for Northern Ireland, and that would be a complete nightmare. And uh, no, I was never going to be asked to play for them anyway. But, you know, just in my mind, I thought I might be in for a chance, you know. Uh, but uh, the, the baton of the 30s is this for me. It was, we, I've called it, we are the champions. And the big question is, how do we do all this? Yeah. Remember, so we're, we're, we're relating it to our, our journey. And I think it's an age where they champion new things, a new way of doing church, and abandoning old, stale ways of doing things. So really, it's a big challenge for those of us who are, whenever we, re, whenever we retired, you know, um, as in handed the leadership of a really great church uh, in, in Belfast over to somebody else. You know, I overheard somebody say, it'll be good to do something fresh and creative for a change. <laughs> now, murder, murder is a sin, I know that. <laughs> but, you know, that, that, that's, that's, the, that's the reality of it. But the, the, the thing was that God put something in our heart. When I was, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, many years, we were in the Brethren. Uh, what happened was every Sunday night we had a gospel meeting. You ever, you know, gospel service. And every, at 6.30 we'd have a, a prayer meeting in the back and we'd pray, Lord, bring the sinners in. God obviously didn't hear her prayers because the sinners never came in. So one day, when I was about 17 or 18, I said to the elders, Would, why don't we ask some people in the, in the community around us, which they 
thought, well, why didn't we think of that? What a great idea. So we, we got this thing. It was called a Good News newspaper. And it was kind of like a sports thing. And you, you put, there was testimonies in it. And you put your logo at the bottom. And we ordered a bunch of them. And they came to my house. And we arranged the night when we would go down. And we went down to the hall. And the only person who showed up was me. And I went to the first, I went to the very first uh, house. I knocked the door and I said, hi, my name's Paul. And I go to such and such gospel hall, li- literally the next house. And I said, um, and I'd like to give you a free newspaper and welcome you to our gospel service at seven o'clock on Sunday night. And he took a step back and he said, I will never forget as long as I live. He said, oh, you're from the BBC, aren't you? And I went, I know. I, my name's Paul. I'm through the little spill again. And he said, well, they haven't told you, have they? He said, about 15 years ago in that church, he pointed out, he said, there was a fight one Sunday morning in the church and it spilled onto the car park and the police were called and the two men were arrested. And he said, from that day to this, we all call it the BBC, the Brethren Boxing Club. It's like, you know, I mean, and I went, I got into my car, I came home. I was living with my grandparents at the time because my parents had split up. And I said, is this true? And he said, yeah, it is true. And he told me the story. And I, and, you know, I, I'd like to say that I had a vision of what we eventually became. But God burst something in my heart that day. It was, could we build a church where, where, where outsiders feel like insiders? And, and, and there was no barriers to anybody coming in. And we would live in a way that people would go, I'd, I'd like to discover something about that thing. So there's something very powerful about that. We were, I was 30 and Priscilla was 28 when we started our own church in, uh, in, in Belfast. We thought we were the only church, house church in the world. And that, you know, we began to ask the question, we were still in the Brethren, what, would, what could I bring my friends to and my children to? And what I want to pass on to my children. And I think when you're in your 30s, you question the old and you herald in the new. And I think they've got things to say and need to be listened to. Again, it was Laura, uh, who is now our site pastor in South Belfast. We started a church uh, on the back of one of the Alphas, and she leads it. And uh, she said to me, why don't we do something completely different? Like, and it's a bit old hat now, but it's years ago. We could do cafe church. And I went, can we do that? I said, what will it be? She said, well, it'll be a bit informal. You know, we could do this, etc. Another venue, same on the premises, etc. And then we ended up, we ended up starting uh, two services in Cafe Church. Absolutely, incredibly successful. And, and so I, I think when you're in your 30s, you're beginning to, to think, you know, I want to champion something new. I want to be part of something that is going to make an impact on our country, an impact on our society. And, and actually, I've got ideas and it's okay because we had new ideas. They're looking back on them. There's nothing new under the sun. But we thought they were new. But we did things that were new and fresh and people laughed at us. I, I, I remember somebody said, well, how did people take it? And I said, well, when we first started out, they were curious. And then they laughed at us. And then they got upset with us. Then they got angry with us. And a couple of years later, they wanted to be like us because we pioneered something that was different. I think the transition into 30 is met hard by Satan because he he tries to distract, I think, 
sometimes the main breadwinner, whoever that might be, to channel their energy into an obsession with ladder climbing and putting your creative juices into, into a career and ignoring the church. There's nothing wrong with a career. Please don't misunderstand me. But the danger is this, that the main childcare gets discouraged with feelings of uselessness and abandonment. And somehow you've got to work that out. Priscilla and I still have talked about that tonight. Whenever I started, whenever I went full time, it was, where do I fit here? And we had to come somewhere along the line, how could we work together in doing that? And if I was a champion of a new order, then I think we've got to give space to others to do the same. Be creative and think, how are we going to do this? How are we going to reach a new generation? So 30-somethings, would you like to stand lights up, please, okay? Probably a few more 30-something. People <laughs> pretending to be 30. <laughs> now, there we go. Again, let's gather around our 30-somethings. Father, we thank you for these men and women. Again, Lord, that you have called, that you have placed in your church, that you have plans and purposes for. Lord, we thank you for each person standing here, for the creativity that is within all of them, because we're, we are made in your image and you have given all of us creative ideas in different areas. And Lord, I pray that tonight they would hear not just your permission, because you have given them permission to explore those creative ideas. But Father, I pray tonight they would hear our permission that they can, they can experiment. And I think that there's maybe a few of you who have already tried a few new things and it hasn't always gone exactly the way you hoped it had gone. And what the enemy does then is try to rob you of that desire to step out into the new. And the Lord says, part of trying new things and even getting it wrong is part of my training ground. And I think for you guys, as you stand here tonight, the Lord is saying, I've got you in, in my training scheme. I am training you. I am working on you to develop spiritual muscles. And part of that will be that you won't always get it right, but God doesn't write you off because of that. He says, I pick you up. I dust you down. You've learned lessons through that experience. And now you're actually stronger to move on and take, the, take on the next thing that I have for you. Don't let the enemy take you out just because you feel that you've made a few mistakes. So Father, I just really pray that you will come upon each one of them, that you will lift off there's a few here and I think you just want to lift off the condemnation of the enemy over their lives where they feel, Lord, I did mess up on that one and, and I'm not sure exactly where I do fit. And the Lord says, if you're feeling like that, I just feel like the Lord is saying, I have you exactly where I want you to be at the minute. If you will listen to my voice, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Trust me to lead you and to guide you. And Lord, we release those creative instincts within them because we need those creative solutions. 
We need their creative solutions in the church. And Lord, I believe that you will send many of them into various areas in our community where because they're in relationship with you, they will have creative solutions in the workplace. Father, I pray that you would release those creative solutions to them in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Okay, the 40s. A few more 40s here. Uh, I've called the baton of the 40s uh, generation as pillars of strength. And the big question they ask is, is this it? Is this it? It's funny when you, when you, uh, you've been around the Christian scene for 20 years and you know, you've, you've seen a lot of things come and go and, and you go, you think of your life and you go, well, I'm middle-aged now. Well, you know, I said to somebody the other day, he said they turned 50 and I said, you're middle-aged? Well, <laughs> many hundred-year-old people do you know? <laughs> Hello. It's actually the most dangerous age and season of life. And tonight probably isn't, and it'll be interesting just to say it, but wherever I've done this around the world, the smallest group of people have been the 40s. Because many people, when they reach 40, go, by this stage, I thought this would happen. I thought God would do this for me. I thought I'd be there. I thought I'd do that. And then, of course, you've got teenage children as well, which that's why you're gray. That's why you're losing your hair. And lots of people in their 40s have children. And, and the reality is it's a season where you can become marginalized because of transition in your life. And, and I, I, I'm going to say this to you, envy of those in their 20s abounds and insecurity is rife. You look at the stage. I, I loved your stage today because you had folks of all ages up on this stage. But actually what happens is once somebody reaches 40, and most churches like ours, they're dumped off the band. And, and, and that happens. And, and it, it leaves them feeling, well, is this it? But if 20s bring passion and the 30s bring new ideas, the 40s give strength. And I think it's, it's essential that those of us, sorry, I'll rephrase that. Those of you in your 40s, <laughs> Those of you in your 40s act strategically to give strength to those who have more energy than you and a little bit more time than you and entrust your wisdom to those who will do things for God. It's a time, I found it's a time, it's interesting. I think when we started the church, remember, we left the brethren, we were, I was 30. And it took us almost 10 years to realize what we didn't want to be. I don't want to be this. But it wasn't until I was in my 40s that I really began to actually go, this is what I do want to be. And we began to shape things and name them, some things. I know that things just happen to you, and I get that. But it was it, something just clicked in the 40s for me. And it was, this is the type of church that I want to build for the future. I looked around and I knew exactly, as I said, what I didn't want to be. I didn't know exactly what I did want to be. And, and uh, uh, what I found was this, we, we then began to shape the culture in a particular way. The, the problem is this, pillars don't win awards, but without them, the roof caves in. And if we don't have pillars in their 40s in our church, then we're going to be in trouble. And I would say to you, 40s, please take this kindly. It's time for the 40s to rise up again.
to carry the weight of the church financially, emotionally, strategically, and prayerfully. And sometimes 40-somethings need to quit feeling rejected, quit being cynical, and quit quitting. It's time for pillars to rise up again. We need 40-somethings in the church. And if you're a 40-something, would you stand where you are, please? Okay, let's get you up here again. Okay, let's gather around our 40. Hey, thank you for being here, guys, honestly. Yes. I mean, I'm not being patronizing. Honestly, it, it's, there's a lot of things going on in 40-somethings. But we love you. Father, again, we thank you for these men and women standing here tonight. We thank you, Lord, for their journey with you so far. And we thank you, Lord, that you too want to impart fresh vision and fresh strength to them. Lord, that you will broaden each of their shoulders to take on the responsibilities that you want them to carry. You know, God says to you again that His yoke is easy and His burden is light, but that He does have things, responsibilities that He has for you to take up and that He will strengthen you for the task. And I feel too that for some of you, you know, there have been thoughts and ideas in your mind of things that you would like to do and you're waiting for someone to give you permission. And I feel like the Lord is saying, you know, with some of those ideas, He wants you to step out and start to not wait for somebody else to make it happen, but that He will enable you to fulfill some of those hopes and dreams that are in your heart. And you know, I do feel like Paul and I have talked a lot tonight about our marriage, but there are single men and women standing here tonight. And sometimes in the church, um, we, we give you the impression that you are spare parts. But you know, if you read the New Testament, it is so positive about people who aren't married, but who are serving Christ. And we thank God for every single one. And we know that for some of you, there are heart, hurts and disappointments in that area. And Lord, I just pray right now that they would have, a, have an experience of you coming alongside them. And again, having that sense that they have been shaped by you, that you have a destiny for every single person and that they have such a valued and valuable contribution to make to the body of Christ of which they're a part. So Father, will you impart again to them just fresh vision and a fresh determination that they will not give up, that they will continue to run the race and that as they run, that you will strengthen them, that you will fill them and that you will fulfill them, Lord, that they will feel fulfilled in living for you. So pour out your Holy Spirit on every single one in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's give a big round of applause for the 40s, okay? Come on, guys. I love you. All right, what about the 50s? Well, I put that, these are arbitrary, okay, so, but I'm, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to make up, we're trying to make a point that every, at every age and stage in life, God wants to use you. I've called it, the 50s, the carer of people. The big question is, can I keep going? Yeah. 
You honestly, your, your, your energy goes, believe me, we're 70 now, but when you get to 50, you know, you don't have the same energy that you used to have. And, and what you find is this, in charismatic churches, often the badge of leadership was taken from 50s and given to 30-somethings. I'm not criticizing that. But I think the main temptation of the 50s is to invent ways of being significant. Instead of holding on to their incredible value to the body of Christ, I think 50s are about spiritual parenting and a celebration of what God has done in you and through you. If you're 50 and you've got to where you, if you're, still, you're here tonight, honestly, it's absolutely fantastic. Actually, it's one of the things we found was, you know, uh, when we were in our 50s when we first heard one of our daughters preach. And the only thing better than doing it yourself is to hear your child doing it. And actually 50-somethings do that. They look up and they go, you know, once they press through the 40s, please press through. You, you find that you've got something in your heart because of the younger ones coming up because even at times you see your own children there. And we, we found also it was a time of reinvention of some of the stuff that were packed away during the family years. The girls were growing up, they were going to uni, they were leaving home, and it left us freer. We had lots of, um, I suppose, prophetic words about travel, investment, other churches. It really only came about in fulfillment uh, when we were in our 50s. And when you're early, sometimes through early retirement, uh, and uh, you can make new friendships, uh, travel a little bit. I think one of the things that we really missed when, our, when finally Amy, our youngest daughter, left the house was that uh, her friends came round. They used to come round, and there was kitchen sink counselling, if we could put it like that. We, and they, they, all, they still look back at a time and they say, we used to go to your mum and dad's house and we loved that. We just talked to them. I, there's a generation of young men and women coming up that have no fathers and no mothers. And honestly, if we could grasp that and put our hand up and say, I'll be a spiritual parent. I'll... I'll I'll take somebody under my wing. I, I don't mean you sit down and you spend, an, you know, but you invite them to your home. You just invest in them. There's something very powerful about doing that. And I think one of the, one of the things that you, could, you ask yourself, as I've already said, is this, is how do I do this? How do I keep going? The average age of divorce in the United States is 52. It's the age we're most likely to be fired from our job believe it or not. But it's a time of when God can just flip things around because when you're in your 50s, you've still got another shot at another career. So I'm 56. No, when I was 56. I'm telling a story here, okay. Give me poetic license. And uh, I just knew something was shifting in my life in the church, great church, you know, world-famous worship all over the world, God doing something. And uh, we're building a new building, a seven million pound building. And I invite this young man who I've only ever met once in my life to speak at our church. And as he's preaching, the Lord said to me, that's your successor. And I said, well, how's that gonna happen? Because I'm not going anywhere. And of course, little did I, little did I know when he's, he told me later when obviously he became my successor, but a little bit later he said to me, he and his wife were driving down that night. He said to Isabel, Isabel, this will be the most significant night of our lives. And she said, why? And he said, I don't know. Because God had something for him, but it's something new for me to do.
And so there's something very powerful about being in your 50s. It's a time when you can look back and celebrate all that God has done. It's okay to do that. But it's a time for spiritual parenting. I want to challenge you in that. So if you're in your 50s tonight, if you've got the energy, could you stand up, okay? <laughs> oh, that was cruel. That was bad. That was bad. That was bad. More 50s than anybody here, 50s. Let's stand with the 50s here, yes, okay? Yes, let's stand with the 50s. Come on, let's. All you younger ones. Come on, you give them a, you go, get hold their wee arms up there. Them. Come on, hold them up there. <laughs> Father, we thank you for the men and women in this room who are following after you in their 50s. Thank you, Father, for all of their experience in God to this point in their lives. Thank you, Lord, that they can stand and say and speak of your faithfulness through all of the various life experiences that they have been through. Father, I really thank you that they too have something that you want them to impart. Father, that for some, they are going to embark on new adventures with you that this will be a time, Lord, that you give them the freedom and there's time freed up in their lives to start something new, to move into something new. You know, I just, I just really do feel that for some of you that those verses in Isaiah are going to be particularly relevant to you. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. I think there's some people in this room that that's particularly relevant to. That God says, don't be looking back over your shoulder. Don't dwell on the past. I have something new for you to do. And sometimes when God says that to us, we feel, well, well what could that possibly be? Don't worry about that. God has a wonderful way of showing us and taking us step by step into the new thing He has for us. But Lord, I also thank You that there are men and women across this room who are so important in terms of parenting the generations coming up, that they have something to impart to them of their wisdom, of their strength, and of their stickability, God, of persevering and keeping on going. So Father, I pray that for those who have a heart to do that and perhaps don't even have the contacts with younger people, that you'll bring people to them. And we will see this generation being disciples of those who are coming up after them. We release them into that mothering and fathering role in the church and especially in our society, which is so broken at the minute. Father, that, that they would be those who brings something of a spiritual stability into the lives of younger generations coming up. We bless them tonight. We thank God for every single one of them. We pray for fresh encouragement to be released to you right now in Jesus' name and fresh strength. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Let's give the 50-somethings a round of applause for crying out loud. Okay, last one, we're on the, I'm going, to, I'm going to say 60s and beyond. Don't want to be, want to be delicate here. 
I call it, I call it this. I'm going to, there's two questions they ask. I'm going to do one first and then, and then in a few minutes because we're coming to the end of our time. The baton of the 60s is the, guard, I call them the guardians of the vision. And the big question is, am I obsolete? Am I obsolete? I, I think that those of us 60s and beyond not only care for the flock, but we can help others through the various transitions of life. One of the things when we go, when we go back, we, we would preach, you know, we've got six congregations and we preach, still on the teaching team. But when we go back to what I, you know, some of them, the people come up to us and they go, you don't need to speak. Just the fact that you're here means so much to us. That some people have gone through all of their life and they're still following Jesus. You've no idea if you're over 60, how important that is in a church. It's so important. And, and, and you can look back and you go, you know, listen, listen you're going through something in your 40s at the minute, but we've been there. Right. We, we've been, and it's not, what it, it's not what it used to be, but it's really good and it's releasing. But you find your emotional energy levels change. Your physical energy changes. You haven't the same patience as you had before. I, I love my grandchildren. That's I, a bit worrying. I know. <laughs> No, but you know, somebody, uh, Leon asked me, that, you know, how do you cope with different styles of parenting than, than you did? I said, I just sit in the corner and go, they need a damn good thrashing. <laughs> or, or helpful things like that. <laughs> Any old people feel like that about their, yeah, I can say that you do. But you know, what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say is this, you know, there's something, there's something that you can actually, we were at a members meeting last Tuesday night with our, you know, with, with our current pastor, Andrew. And, uh, you know, we, we were excited and we were, you know, when we, you know, we're hearing what's going on, what we're doing and where we're going, you know, we, we are the most enthusiastic supporters of Andrew. I mean, is everything, you know, is it the way I did it? No. Is it the way I would do it? No. That's not the point. The point is, it's exciting and we can get behind it and encourage them. I think without the, I suppose I call it the dogma of the 30s, the workload of the 40s, the concerns of the 50s, I think the 60s can provide, and 70s and 80s can provide wisdom to see the whole church flourish. Most people I find, particularly in their 60s, can be involved in pastoring and evangelism which combined with strong parenting, the whole church can actually thrive because of their ministry. The main temptation is to develop a critical spirit and harp back to the good old days. You know, grumpy old man came from somewhere. <laughs> and it didn't come by accident. But it's a time when you can do new things. When I hit 70, you know, we, we, up, to, up to COVID hit, we were doing 100 flights a year. And when COVID hit, we, we asked the question, what would the next 10 years look like? And I got a call offering, would I like to be chaplain of Linfield? And honestly, it has been a football team that I've supported all of my life. And it has been a revelation to me. I talked a little bit about it this morning. It's been the most incredible experience. And, and so to, to the 60s and above, I say to you, you are of incalculable uh, reservoir of wealth to this church. The fact that you're here and that you pray, a couple told us this morning, and they mentioned our daughters by name, and they said, we pray for them every day. 
we cannot tell you what that means to us. There are people in their 60s, 70s and 80s in this church who are praying for this church this day and every day. Thank you for doing that. The big question that particularly in their 70s you ask is this. I'll stand. Ooh. <laughs> and it's this. Was it worth it? Was it worth it? I look back on my life and it's a question you ask yourself and you go, you know, I, I look back and I think of the, the number of, you know, what we did with our lives and what we gave to it. And every now and then you ask the question, was it worth it? It's a few years ago now, but I was walking through Belfast one day and this uh, girl, well, she was, everybody's a girl to me these days, but she was a, I suppose she was a lady probably in her mid-40s. And, uh, and she said, are you Paul Reed? And I said, yeah. And she said, oh, uh, I, you don't know me, but let me tell you a story. She said, it was, it was 1989. Uh, I was going to live uh, with my boyfriend in London. And my brother, who had been around church at different churches, uh, I was, we were going to go, uh, my boyfriend and I were going to go in January 1990. And we were going to go to, we to, go to live in London. And uh, she said, I hadn't, been, I hadn't been to church since I was a child. My brother said to me, do you fancy going to that church up on the hill there? Uh, and do and, and you have another, just before you go? I said, she said, I don't know why I said yes, but the two of us set off for your church. And she said, she said, and you told me about Jesus that day. And you know something? I gave my life to Christ. <laughs> and she said, and guess what? I, I didn't go to London with a boyfriend. I met a lovely young man who's a youth, who's a youth pastor in an Elam church, and now my husband is an Elam pastor in England. And she said, I just want to say thank you. She said, thank you for your faithfulness. And because of that one day, I'm doing what I'm doing. It was worth it for her. It was worth it for all the prayers that we prayed, all the money we gave, all the meetings we went to, all the things we invested into, if you're over 60, 70, 80s, it was worth it. It was worth it. So if you're able, <laughs> and you're in your 60s and 70s and 80s, would you stand where you are? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask, Dan, would you come up and pray for these old people? <laughs> Look at them, look, 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 have a round. Look, look, at the, look at the number of them, for goodness sake. They're it's breathing fantastic. out there. It's fantastic. Hey, give it a wee second. Let's stand around. We're standing with you, okay? Yeah, we're standing as well. <laughs> Father, we want to say thank you for everybody stood right now over the age of 60. Father, thank you so much for their faithfulness to the church, to, uh, to family and friends over the years. Father God, I want to say thank you for every single prayer, um, every uh, single uh, prayer meeting attended. Father, um, every time they've uh, mentored. Jesus, uh, we just thank you so much for the faithfulness of these people right now and Jesus I want to thank you uh, for what you are continuing to do in these people right now and what you will continue to do in and through these uh, wonderful people Jesus um, I uh, 
Father, I want to pray for fresh life. Father, I want to pray for fresh visions. Jesus, I want to pray. Father, I, I, I want to pray uh, for more times of stepping out in faith, praying for healing, praying for uh, breakthrough, Jesus. Uh, yeah, Father, God, we pray all of that in your name. Amen. And yes, Lord, and on behalf of the generation standing of which I'm part, we just make a fresh commitment. Lord, we are going to continue to follow after you. We are going to continue to be obedient to everything that you ask us to do. Lord, we ask that you will fill us afresh with strength to keep running. Lord, we want to burst through the finish line. We don't want to limp through the finish line. And so we embrace all that you have for us in this season of our lives. And I just feel like the Lord would say to us that we are not to value ourselves by the standards of the world. That, you know, sometimes we think that there are certain things that are really important. And actually God doesn't think they're that important at all. And the things that he values are very different. And the things that are valued in the kingdom of God are very different. And many of you have served God faithfully and no one else has seen what you have poured in to people's lives. Nobody but the Lord has seen it. And with Paul saying tonight, and we're saying it, we say, Lord, even though nobody saw some of those things, we're saying it was worth it. It was worth it. And the stuff that happens behind the scenes that, we, that many of these people have never got any credit for, tonight you say to them, well done, good and faithful servant. And so, Father, we commit ourselves afresh to you to continue to serve you and love your body, love the church and serve the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. I'm nearly finished, okay? Just one quick thing. I just want to say, I, I want to say thanks to Leon uh, and, uh, and Austin and, and the, the leadership team for building an intergenerational church. I think, you know, we, we go to great lengths to, to make sure the front door's open, but at times we don't close the back door. And lots of people lose heart and they disappear. And I think we need to, we need to help every generation walk into what God has for them and help them transition. I want to say a special thanks to two, to four people here tonight. I want to say a big thanks to, to Mac and Aris and Pauline and Bernard. I, you know, when I first came here, you were in the eldership. And here you're still here. Thank you for all you've poured into this church. I know Liam would want to say that. Pardon? And Nigel and Wendy as well. Sorry, I, 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 I missed you. But it, just to see you here is absolutely fantastic. Thank you for what you've put into this church. And you know something? It was worth it. It was worth it. It's not as good. <laughs> Life is long. And when we give ourselves, Leon, to grow in the church through the front door, actually it's really encouraging to see so many people who've been around a long time, who are still here, who still believe the gospel works, 
who still believe Jesus is the only way and who still believe in local church. Thank you. God bless you.